You know, last time, but maybe you don't remember last time, but I had a big story about how I prepared my message and it took about 23 minutes, I think, at the end of the day, which was incredibly popular. The, the length, not the message. And uh, and last night I was I was going through my stuff real late because it just took me forever for some reason this week. And uh, this morning I was going through, oh, and I said, oh, there's so many pages. And Rochelle saw me crossing out paragraphs. She said, oh, why are you doing that? I said, because it's, I showed her how long it was. And she said, oh, that's great. You know, she was so enthusiastic with my hacking and slashing. And I thought, thanks for the encouragement. I love that's great. You know, so, um, but hopefully, I've just left the good stuff, and uh, and the Lord has caused me to remove all the dross and unnecessary stuff. And so, Heavenly Father, we so want to hear from you. We've sung this morning about how we long for you, Lord Jesus, and uh, and um, and we do. Well, that's the change in our hearts, Father. We never used to. We never cared about you at all. In fact, we avoided you, but now we long for you so much, and uh, we want to hear a word from you. So Lord, I pray that with the music, with what's been done already, with with this message from your word and, and hopefully with our encouragement to one another uh, afterwards, I pray Jesus will be edified in our hearts and uh, we'll walk out of here knowing you better and walking with you closer than we did when we came in. And so this morning, our key text is from Second Peter 1 verse 3. I'll read it in full. <clears throat> His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. So he's given us everything we need for life and for godliness so that we can partake in the divine nature, so that we can be like Jesus. And so we can enjoy that righteousness that he promises and, and that holiness that he wants us to, to build in ourselves. And sometimes that's easier than, uh, than other times. And I was thinking, uh, as, as I and, and Christians so often do, you know, you've got guys like Abraham that talk to God like a friend. Guys like Daniel who just, you know, God just blessed him so much and his angels and everything and, and they were friends and he confided in him and and um, you know so many others that you're just jealous of. They they just walk with God so closely, and God commended them for so many things. Moses talked to God face to face like a friend, and wouldn't we love to do that? Uh, Paul was allowed to go to paradise and and hear profound things that he wasn't even allowed to tell us. Which I don't know why would God put that in the Bible? Oh, there's a thing, but I'm not telling you. You know, it's like somebody goes, oh, never mind. You know, and suddenly you want to know what it was. It usually turns out like, can you turn the light off or something really dumb? But you just want to know. Anyway, so there's awesome times like this, and people in the Bible who have seen the dead raised. You know, like. Uh, Hebrews 11 talks about you know those sort of dead rays. Some did this and that and amazing things, and and generally we just go to work and we come home and we do the dishes and you know we fall to sleep on the couch like I've said so many times recently. And so we're often faced with extended periods where where life is dry and dull, where prayer you know is is sometimes a little bit of a of a, a duty, a discipline, uh, and a bit less of a joy, and yet uh, it's right for us to do it. And of course, we've got that wonderful example in Scripture of a guy who uh, endured that worse than anybody ever has. I mean, his life was the pits, and he cried out to the God that he so clearly loved so much, and 
the heavens were brass. You know, God just would not answer. And he went on for chapter, Job went on for chapter after chapter saying, if only he would answer, I would tell him how wrong he is and how right I am and that it's unfair to be, you know. I mean, you know, he was out of line, but he still loved God and he just wanted to talk to him. The point is, he couldn't find God. Throughout that whole book, one of the major themes is that he just couldn't find God. We know, because we read the beginning and the end, that God was right there the whole time and uh, in a big way. But so it is for us so many times. And yet this guy who was struggling so much, he knew, as I hope we do, and even in our driest times, that I know my Redeemer lives. And though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And all sorts of other wonderful things that this, this dear man who suffered so much on our account uh, and for our benefit uh, said. But um, the point of this message is that, and I wish Mike Walker was here because I'm going to borrow a phrase from him, it doesn't have to be flash hairy. You know, we don't have to have uh, angels and visitations. We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. And we want to talk about some of those things this morning. Uh, we don't need visitations and, and miracle handkerchiefs, you know, that and, and getting say, uh, healed in somebody's shadow and all those things. We've got everything we need to live just like the prophets. In fact, somewhere uh, the Lord said, uh, if you listen to a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. So you don't have to be Elijah, you just have to believe Elijah, and you'll receive the same reward. So all we need, first of all, all we need pertaining to life. The Lord said of himself, when somebody said, I want to follow you, he said, well, foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So he's letting this guy know, okay, you can follow me, but it means leaving the world. The Lord was just totally free of owning everything, owning anything at all. Uh, he had the clothes on his back, uh, and even the food. He didn't have like a, a place to live where there was a regular meal time. Every meal was like, you know, we we just love talking about George Mueller, <clears throat> and rightfully so because George Mueller is a wonderful example of of a man who just trusted God for every meal for him and the orphans, and so many miracles happened to him. Uh, and yet that was just the way Jesus lived. That was every meal. That was everything that he needed for for anything at all. And so he was totally free of owning anything, and therefore he was totally free of being owned. You know, he didn't have to make any payments. Nobody was going to come after him for anything. Nobody could say, hey, you know, uh, you need to go to work because you owe me. He trusted God for absolutely everything. And so he was totally free of being owned as well. But <clears throat> sometimes needs arise. Uh, he did still need to eat. And so he did wonderful things, just to give examples of God's provision. Uh, he'd go to Peter's place, his mother-in-law was sick, so he'd pray for his mother-in-law, she'd get up and cook for them. You know, uh, It's pretty handy. I love that. I love that scripture. You know, they went to Peter's place and, and his mum was sick, uh, so he prayed for her, she got up and, and prepared them a meal. I'm sure it was out of compassion for her that he prayed and the meal was subsequent. But anyway, he does things like that. Uh, what else? Oh, food for guests. You know, 5,000, 7,000, not a problem. He just broke bread, gave thanks, and, and fed them all. Uh, taxes. You know, another thing. Somebody said uh, the only two things sure in life are, are taxes and death. Uh, don't agree, but they are a sure thing. Uh, he sent Peter off and, and of course, got a, a fish, and out came a coin for, for him and Peter. So his, his faith was in God for everything. Uh, as ours should be. My employer... Uh, uh, I work as hard as I can for him because I know God's watching me, but I don't actually work for him. I work for God, and God provides my food. Um, he generally provides it through a paycheck. Uh, not necessarily, though. So my trust is in God. And uh, 
his affections were set on things above. He trusted his father for everything. Oh, and the, probably the main point was that he wanted nothing more than the father gave him. If you can want nothing more than the father gives you, Lexi, pay attention, then you have everything, right? Uh, my Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, you know, I've got a banquet besides still waters in the presence of my enemies. I don't need anything. My God is with me all the time. Very hard place to live. You know, when, when that rich guy come and said, you know, Lord, I've kept all the commandments. What can I do to follow you? Go and sell all your stuff and come and follow me. Get rid of that thing because it owns you. You think you own it, but it owns you. And, and it turned out he went away sorrowful because it really did. And so, and there's a little bit of that in all of us. And so it's really hard to let that go. Uh, I would love to George Mueller and, and live by faith, but but let's move on before I get too convicted and have to do it. <laughs> you know. So he trusted his father for everything. Uh, you know, Paul said, "I've learned to uh, I've learned to get by with a lot. I've learned to get by with a little. Whatever I give thanks and I and I praise God. The Lord was the same, and of course, He always epitomizes every concept in the Bible. He did forty days." in the desert without any food at all. Um, didn't moan about it. Didn't, you know, like the Pharisees on the street corners, you know, oh, my tummy's, you know, and, and getting sympathy. He went out in the wilderness all by himself. Uh, or, and, and it's funny, looking looking in some of these and, and looking it up, he did a lot of feasting. So he feasted with Mary and Martha quite often and, and, and Lazarus. Uh, Zacchaeus, he went to Zacchaeus' house, uh, went to Pharisee's house a couple of times and, and feasted, um, prepared Passovers, you know, several times. <laughs> he was always eating, got accused of being, in fact, so much so much eating that he got accused of being a glutton and a drunkard by uh, the Pharisees, which of course he wasn't, but he did a lot of eating with people. Uh, there was a lot of hospitality, which is a more spiritual way of saying eating. And so, uh, you know, whether uh, whether a lot or a little, the Lord was satisfied. Likewise, he assures our needs. Luke twelve twenty nine says, Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't even worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom. If only we could set our hearts just seeking his kingdom, and that was the most important thing. And that's a constant thing that we learn in our lives, isn't it? To seek his kingdom and not seek anything else. So he cares for us more than sparrows and flowers. The problem arises when we want more than food or clothing. The problem arises uh, when we might want a few luxuries. And that's when we leave faith and enter into a little bit of insecurity in our life. And we start to worry about, are we getting the, you know, should I invest in this or that? Or, or should I buy this? You know, those sort of considerations. And we start leaving faith behind. Insecurity is putting our faith in things that can fail or be taken from us, which is pretty much everything. Uh, in fact, it is everything, isn't it? Except the Lord Jesus um, and our future in heaven. Security, on the other hand, is putting our faith in things that cannot fail or be taken from us, which is the Lord Jesus. The goal then is contentment. That is the goal. John said, John uh, the Baptist, Luke 3, said to the crowds coming to be baptized for him, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. He answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you were required to, he told them. He didn't tell them, stop being tax collectors. He said, just be honest ones. Then soldiers, I assume Roman soldiers, came and asked him, what should we do? 
He replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, be content with your pay. That's probably not a verse that you'll hear often quoted at a, at a union meeting. Be content with your pay, is what the Lord told us. Uh, so many of us uh, are concerned about our annual pay rises. I don't see what the difference between $20 an hour and $20.50 is an hour and why it should stress out so much, but some people do. Paul told Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Can we, can we do that? You know, Like I said, let's move on from the subject because it's too convicting. But could we do that? Be content with food and clothing. Uh, yeah, I would, it would need a, a great change in my inner culture. For we brought nothing in the world, but if we have food and clothing. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Just a, a slight aside, just a thought about the Lord, how he had the food on his back and, and, and food miraculously came to him. On the cross, part of God's forsaking him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was even that was taken from him. They took his clothes off him and gambled him. So every worldly thing, even those things, which are the only things that God promises, you know, food and clothing, I'll keep you alive. You know, anything else is a luxury. I'll give you lots else. Look at all the extra stuff we have. But anything else is a luxury. But even those basic promised things were taken off Jesus and he was stripped of his clothes and had nothing of this world on him. For his divine power has also, as, as well as everything pertaining to life, everything pertaining to godliness. And the first thing, and well, perhaps not the best because there are some wonderful things, but is the Bible. So we've talked about those guys that had divine guidance and angels and, and all those wonderful things. But this book is, is all we need, of course. And not just a random finger point, you know, if you need something, just don't do this. It, it takes a bit of effort. It takes a bit of pouring over. It takes a, a bit of a weight. It's not just a, I've got a problem, let's, let's look up a verse of the day. It's a, it's a lifestyle, you know. Everything is in here, but uh, it's not... Uh, I'm probably guilty of it as anybody in the world because I was brought up with lots of telly and I'm a bit of a TV addict, and so I'm used to all of life's problems being solved in about 23 minutes. You know, you've got this terrible problem relationship thing, but in 23 minutes with ad breaks, um, it's half an hour, you know, the whole problem is solved and it comes right. And so I'm used to having my problem solved or somebody's problem solved, but life isn't like that. And so we don't just do it in the day, we do it in a season and we plant to reap a harvest. And just like real plants, uh, they don't spring up overnight, you know, they spring the next season. And so if you're going to still plant your misery, next season you'll get misery back. Obviously, you reap what you sow. And so it takes time. And when you... It's just one of life's lessons, sweetheart. You just have to learn it. <laughs> oh, Dad, where are you going? Uh, life's lessons. Hmm, let me see. Oh, it's going to be really profound. Oh, yeah, just a warning that when you do finally read in it, and I recommend that you read... I recommend. You guys all know this. You've been around the traps for a while. When you read until you engage with something, right? Read and read. You can read for days and, and it's just kind of, you can't even remember what you read as soon as you walk away. But, but sooner or later you'll engage with something and it'll have meaning to you. I guess that's what people in, a few years ago used to call the difference between a Logos and a Rima. This is the Logos. One day you'll get a Rima, which will be that bit that, that clicks and the penny drops. And, and it's something that you can actually eat and run on and, and bear fruit with. 
um, once that happens instantly, the devil will come and say, did God really say that? You know, or did he not? You know, so we're always under the gun. So always a bit of effort and seeking God required. There was a, Luke 16, 19 illustrates this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, Even if... He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. If this book isn't enough, nothing will convince you. You know, No, matter, no amount of miracles. Uh, when the Pharisees came and said to Jesus, we want, to, we want you to show us a sign. He says, I'll give you a sign, Jonah. You know, Jonah and, and what happened to him, that's a sign for you. Uh, so it wasn't even the Old Testament. It was just one book out of the Old Testament. That's all, that's all you need. If you want God, you'll find him in there. And we have much more than the book of Jonah and the Old Testament. So that book is enough. But of course, it's not enough on its own. To some extent, it is just a book. And it's just some facts. And some people read it that way. There's lots of history and, and interesting things in there. Um, but unless you have the Holy Spirit, unless you're born again and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's foolishness to you. Uh, things like, you know, I've written down... Oh yes, things like uh, if you want to get, then you give. You know, you want to get rich, well, give all your money away. Uh, if you want to be the greatest, be the least, wash people's feet. Uh, if you want to live, you die. Uh, Jesus dying on the cross was the greatest victory in, in all of created universe and time. You know, these things are foolishness to the natural mind, especially the cross. Um, but to those of us who are filled with the Spirit, our whole mind has changed. Um, I like what... Chuck Missler says, 66 books by 40 authors, and we now find that it is an integrated message system from outside our time domain. I was going to get some Star Trekky picture up here, but I wasn't sure how Ross would respond. So, um, from outside our time domain, it's not just a book, it's a message from outside of our whole time domain and, and, and outside of uh, created things. Uh, let me see, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And so we need the Holy Spirit so that this book becomes alive and it's more than just words, it's a, a message. For the redeemed it paints a picture of the one our souls love. The Pharisees knew these words better than anyone, but they couldn't see the picture that it paints. Jesus said to them, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so without the Holy Spirit, the book cannot be activated. Another thing that, uh, that gives us all we need, uh, 
to to prove our faith is history. And uh, one of them, oh, it's written there. And uh, Israel's history. If you're struggling with faith and you and you got some doubts, look at look at that country and and just Google something or, or even get a book. Remember those? They're sort of like, anyway. You'll find out. Um, and look it up and just read a few things. And I want to read a couple that I looked up too. I've scratched a few because I got excited and put too many on. So this is about Israel. When its founding leader David Ben-Gurion declared independence for the Jewish state on 14 May 1948, it was immediately attacked by three Arab armies. Um, Israel, uh, sorry, uh, Egypt, Syria and Jordan attacked them and they were supported by Iraq and, and lots of Muslim countries all around the world sent weapons and volunteers to help out to try and wipe out this tiny little slither of land. These Arab forces were armed, trained, and in some cases even commanded by officers from some of the world's major powers. In contrast, the international community placed an arms embargo on the fledgling state of Israel, and only one small nation, Czechoslovakia, dared to defy it by supplying weapons to the Jewish state. Uh, In many instances, frail Holocaust survivors arriving from Europe were thrown straight into battle without even shoes on their feet. Arab leaders had vowed to drive the Jews from the sea, but somehow Israel prevailed. Well, somehow, there's, in all these sto- in many of these stories, there's a somehow, and uh, and it's miracles like this. There's one about 39 rockets. Uh, 1991, um, they were firing rockets into Israel to try and draw it into the uh, Gulf War, but they wouldn't be provoked, uh, which was very wise of them. But 39 rockets were fired into that country. Uh, it talks about some of them, you know, strange winds coming from nowhere and blowing them out to the Mediterranean, landing in rubbish dumps and not going off. Um, one landed between a couple of buildings and did go off, but nobody was killed, you know. And uh, all these things failing so badly, which um, you might think, well, they're just just—they're all just duds. But uh, I will read you the end of it. Not everyone realized the magnitude of this miracle until 40 were killed in a single missile strike on a U.S. Marine bunker in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, they do work and they do kill, just not in Israel. Uh, Taking back of Jerusalem, uh, there's a wonderful story there about, and it's just straight from the book of Kings and Chronicles, how the Syrians just, one day they stopped fighting, it all went quiet, they took off and left their weapons behind, you know, straight out of um, the book of Kings. So look at that that history of, of that country, if you're ever having trouble with faith, wondering if God is real. And if you're not convinced, then you're, Pretty stiff necked and hard hearted. <laughs> our own lives, uh, you know, even in our own lives, I mean, we might not raise people from the dead too routinely and, and all those wonderful things. And yet, like I've already alluded to, once the Holy Spirit comes into your life, uh, things that you didn't do before you do now, things that you hated before you love now, there's been a change. My heart has the opposite desires. In fact, I'll read Romans 6. Romans 6.20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap reaps to holiness. Those things that I used to do and, all, and be proud of, I'm now ashamed of. Uh, I used to see the cross and think like, you know, that's foolishness. I think, what a failure. We, lo- we lost. I remember a guy at work saying, uh, mocking me, in the smoker room saying, oh, I know how that book ends, you know, <laughs> uh, meaning meaning he died on the cross. And I was able to say, well, that's not even quite at the middle of the book yet. You know, that's, that's the beginning. Uh, but that's how they see it. And now we've changed. You know, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit and we have 
it's been revealed to us. That's a miracle in our lives, not to be discounted. I had a conscience that told me right and wrong, and I always thought it was an irritating thing. Uh, now I see that it's the hand of God, and, and you know I wouldn't be without it. It's saved myself, saved my life many times, and I, I listened to my conscience. Uh, I was never concerned about grieving the Holy Spirit before. You know, who cares if I grieve the Holy Spirit? What is you know? I, but now it grieves me to know that how often I grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, it breaks my heart. I never wanted to please God before, but now the well done, good and faithful servant is the, the great goal of my life. You know, to bless Him and to know His face is smiling upon me. So there's definitely been a change in our lives. There's been a miracle that's gone into us. So if you ever doubt, um, just sin and see if you enjoy it anymore. You know, and you probably won't. Are you kidding? That's terrible advice. <laughs> I just wanted to see if anyone was listening. It's gone quiet. No, don't sin. But you know, uh, your life has changed. There has been a miracle that's taken place in you. So remember that. Archaeology is a really interesting one. Oh, that's about Israel. That's pretty interesting. Um, archaeology is a really interesting one. I found this. I was at uh, Rob Hunt's place one day, and he had this book on his coffee table, and I went home and bought a copy. Uh, evidence for the Bible, lots of archaeological things, um, evidence for the Bible. But one of them talks about, many times you'll have scholars, inverted commas, will say uh, the Bible can't be true because it's wrong and this and that. And, and it talks about, uh, for example, the Hittites. There was Nobody knew about the Hittites um, except references in the Bible. <clears throat> and so obviously the Bible was wrong because it talks about these people who didn't exist. Uh, this book says, at one time, the only known references to the Hittites were their frequent mention in the Bible. This led some scholars to question their existence, even though from the biblical record they were clearly a powerful, feared, and important people. However, their ancient capital of some place in Turkey was uncovered in 1906, and they are known to have been an enlightened and educated people. The Hittite Empire was founded around 1700, etc., etc. talks about uh, that they were quite a, a great civilization. And so, oh, what do you know? The Bible was correct. Uh, the same is true of uh, um, the Syrian king Sargon, who took the northern tribes away and, and they became Samaritans, you know, and, and mongrelized them. Uh, of Nineveh, nobody said Nineveh was such a place. Uh, they found Nineveh. Of Belshazzar, the guy with the handwriting on the wall, um, uh, they said there was no such guy, and now they've found that there is. And over and over and over again, you know, the Bible can't be true because of this, or just because there's no evidence of people wandering in the desert. Um, what would you expect to find from people who live in a tent uh, and wander in the desert? You know, goat poo only lasts a certain amount of time. So, you know, and if you found some, you know. So um, the, just not finding something doesn't mean it wasn't there. It just means you haven't found anything. Um, and so the Bible is right. So archaeology, those were negative examples, but you know this book is just chock full of wonderful things um, that actually do prove that uh, they were there. The British Museum, it says in here, has 70,000 items on display, but some 13 million stored and not yet studied or deciphered. And many other museums um, have the same sort of ratio of stuff tucked away. So, you know, who knows what's out there that we'll find. But at the end of the day, you know, even if they found Noah's Ark, should it make a difference to us? No, it shouldn't make a difference to us, right? It really shouldn't matter at all. If uh, if the Shroud of Turin, you know, which some, some people really, really have a lot of faith in that thing and, and argue about it, uh, I don't really care, and I don't believe it is, but I really don't care. It doesn't affect my faith either way. You know, those sort of things. Uh, so it is true. A great cloud of witnesses um, 
there are people who have gone before us. I won't get into that for time, but there is uh, people in the in Scripture, people since then, since Jesus, uh, so many great Christians that we could look into to encourage us have suffered for the the name of the Lord. Um, another one, the insanity of godliness, of godlessness, the wisdom to recognize the madness of the world without God. I find that quite often when I'm having doughty seasons um, and wondering what's going on, I just look at the insanity of the world and how it's so pushed in the opposite direction. You know, we're, we're pushed towards godliness and righteousness and we seek the Lord, um, but they just push to believe a lie and things that are so illogical, things that just seem mad and, and absolutely insane. Evolution. You know, in the beginning was nothing and it exploded. It's just, it's bad science, you know, and, and yet they believe it and they'll support it to the death. Abortion's not murder. How can it not be murder when you're killing the, the baby? It's a human. What else is it? Israel has no historical claim to Jerusalem or the Temple Mount. I mean, these things are just just bizarre and mad. Porn is okay, but abuse is bad. Uh, we don't believe in gender, but we fight for women's rights. You know, it's like, what is this place? This place is mental. You know, so you look at all these things, uh, and um, if you ever have any doubts, just look at how confused the world is, and realize that if you can't believe in, in the goodness of God, believe in the badness of of the enemy in our own foolish hearts. And uh, not, perhaps not most importantly, but very importantly, is that mustard seed. Most of us probably, like the disciples did, don't rate our level of faith very high. They said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So he didn't give them bigger faith and say, here's, here's five steps to, to be able to do better miracles. He says, you've got everything you need for life and godliness. To each is appointed, Romans says, a measure of faith. Everybody has faith. Everybody has all the faith you need for anything God is ever going to call you to do. And so, and, and I have a hunch, and I'm sure it's true, so I'll say it from this box, is that no human has ever even redlined or maxed out their, their faith level. I don't think we've even come close. So even if it is just a mustard seed that you have, you've got more than uh, any human will ever need or, or attain to. So we've got all that we need. If you want to go and cast mulberry, seed, mulberry bushes into the sea, um, good on you. You can knock yourself out. So we all need... Oh, yeah, none of us have ever come close to maxing it. So therefore, in summary, everyone who is born again by the Spirit of God has everything that they need to live in this world and to live a godly life. If you feel you don't, pray and wait and pray and wait and pray and wait and seek God. And, uh, and that thing about contentment, do you really need a 72-inch TV? Is that where your faith is based? If it is, time to pray and wait, pray and wait. Um, but we really don't. The contentment with uh, just what he gives you is the key. He has proved his power and his truth over and over in the lives of millions and in our own lives, and he will continue to do so. And so, Lord, for those who are struggling with doubt or accepting your will or, or in a season where you've withdrawn yourself, I pray that you grant us um, the chutzpah to dig deep and press on through the valley. Trusting in the scriptures, trusting those who have gone before and flexing our faith like the mighty men and women of God that you see. Just like Gideon needed so much encouragement and you still called him a mighty man of faith. So thank you, Lord, for seeing us uh, as you see your own son. Thank you, Lord, for believing in us and um, 
and, uh, and never forsaking us and never finishing your work until we see you face to face. Thank you for the great hope that is within us. Pray for your encouragement to one another. I pray that as we have a, uh, a final song and, and a cup of tea that um, we'll encourage one another and edify one another in Jesus. Amen. Amen.